Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Talking Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining me on what is our global edition of the podcast. I haven't created as many of these podcasts as I would like, but um, hopefully today kicks off a kicks off an avalanche of people wanting to talk to me about um, their pathway in leadership. And so today I want to go off track just a little bit in that whilst we're going to be talking leadership, my guest today has a extensive background in mentoring and it's an area uh, that is near and dear to my heart and I want to talk about it a lot more. And so my guest today, unbeknownst to him, is going to start off this this avalanche of discussions around the mentoring topic because I think it needs to happen. So by way of introduction, my guest today is the regional manager, DC Metro Market for Mentor. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Aon Johnson. How are you, Matt? I'm doing well, Eric. Thank you so much for this invitation to be a part of this discussion. You have talked and met with leaders, obviously. You work in the mentoring space. First question here is, why was it important for you, for you to be involved as a mentor? You know, I think what got me into mentoring, I was in the educational arena and obviously we're teaching and there is an element of development that goes along with the educational landscape. But beyond education, there's the element I think that many students desire and that is a greater understanding of the underpinnings, whatever subject matter and how it affects us on an individual basis. And that really began to intrigue me as students interact with subject matter. Uh, then they begin to ask you, you know, more relevant questions or relevant statements, give you more relevant statements about how does it affect me personally? How does it affect my community? And that's when you begin to enter into a dialogue that's not a unilateral dialogue, it's a bilateral dialogue, which is what mentoring is. It's uh, two people exchanging ideas uh, for the betterment of both personal and professional development. So it came out of an educational, to, to, to I can be very wordy, but it came out of an educational space and then just really morphed into more of the one-on-one type mentoring and then even the group sessions. I would be guessing here, but I think that's how many would find their way into mentoring in an educational setting is that you're going to have uh, people talking to young people, other colleagues wanting some direction. And did do you get a sense in the education system in the US, now I'm, I'm only wanting you to generalize here, and if you can't, that's okay, that the need for mentors is a critical thing right now? Oh, I definitely 100% agree that it's a critical thing. Um, there's a, a curriculum that we're developing, uh, not to go too off off track with you, Eric, uh, there's a curriculum that we're developing, it's called a relationship-based schools. So the, the principle is that uh, principle P-L-E, not P-A-L, <laughs> the principle uh, behind it is that every individual, every young person that enters into a school physical building should have at least one meaningful relationship, one substantive relationship with an adult in that school building, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a baseball coach, whether it's a an instructor, a band instructor, whether it's a janitor who's cleaning the, the facility. Every student should have at least one meaningful relationship. And there's studies that show when that happens, truancy declines, engagement increases, performance increases, academic performance, and even graduation rates uh, go up as a result of making sure that each student in that school has at least one type of, you know, substantive relationship. And so that lets you see that in our educational system, yes, pedagogy is important, but also relationships are important as well. I had assumed that in the teaching relationship, that mentoring element came into it. But knowing, 
I guess, how busy teachers are and teachers aren't getting any less busy that focusing on those kind of relationships can be difficult if you've got thousands of kids um, in a school. And I I would suggest to you, much like in Australia, different schools have different um, size uh, student cohort. So in the school where my my kids go, my son goes to at the moment, it's about 1,200 kids, but there are schools around us that have probably have 2,000 kids and that that makes the, the pressure on resources that much more critical. Define for me mentoring. One distinguishment that I would place with mentoring when you compare it to coaching or teaching, coaching and teaching can be very transactional where you're simply getting across, you know, specific information, ideas, concepts, skills. I think mentoring takes it a step further in that it also has a transformational element that goes beyond the mere transaction of data or skills. And it's when two human beings connect, not only around a subject matter, but they're able to connect, you know, on a professional and even a personal level. And so, you know, there are different kinds of mentoring. There's the one-on-one mentoring, there's the group mentoring, but even in both of those spaces, there's an exchange that happens between the mentor and the mentee that goes beyond just mere transaction. So that's an around about way uh, to really define mentoring. I could have just given you like a one sentence, but I think, you know, more importantly, uh, mentors need to understand that, you know, yes, the important, the, the transactions are important, but more importantly is what the mentee is getting from a transformational perspective from the mentor. Not only does the mentee have their perspective potentially change, but do you think the mentee gives a lot back to the mentor? Is there is that a reciprocal thing that you learn from that process? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely, Eric, because, you know, I wrote a book on, on mentoring. It's called The Art of Effective Mentoring. And in that book, I've got a, a whole chapter entitled Learning. And the premise is the learning in a mentoring relationship is never unilateral. Uh, The most effective mentoring uh, relationships are bilateral. They're going both ways where the mentor is getting just as much information, knowledge, transformation as the mentee. And those type of mentoring relationships are typically the most healthy types of relationships where the mentor enters into the space, not with the premise that I am here to, you know, bestow all of these realms of knowledge to this poor little lowly mentee, but instead the mentor approaches the relationship, whereas with open arms, open heart, what can I receive from this other individual? And that's a much more healthy mentoring relationship. When you're in a role a leadership role, you've had experience and you're mentoring someone, you want to help them on the come up. You're, you're, the signals and the issues that they need to be aware of as they go along, you're not necessarily ever making decisions for them, but you're helping them along. And I think the best and most effective leaders that I've met in my travels get a real buzz from doing that. And that's the getting back something from the relationship that isn't financial. It's it's about the the, the reciprocal nature of the relationship. And I think that makes the mentor better in some ways as well. So the mentee in some ways is acting as a uh, metaphorical mentor so that if in that relationship you see something that works, you'll maybe apply that that knowledge in another setting and hopefully um, benefit somebody else. So it's, yeah, that that the reciprocalness of the relationship is important to me. So you've opened the door here and this is a good way to, to, to meld the next question together, mentoring and leadership. Is a mentor in your mind a leader or do they need to apply leadership skills as part of that process, a part of the mentoring process, sorry. 
I think it's both and. I think when you're in a mentoring space, you know, there's a, several different leadership styles, you know, different assessments that really, you know, pin different types of leaders, whether it's, you know, a dictatorial leader or democratic, you know, lots of that, all those leadership theories. If you want to stick with that specific, those specific parameters, I think an effective mentor comes in almost as a laissez-faire type leader where he is really allowing the mentee to really speak into whatever project, whatever development or whatever goals that are, are being uh, set in, in, in that particular engagement. And I think that leadership style really works well in the mentoring space. There's, a, there's another assessment that I really like. It's called, uh, I believe it's called strength-based leadership. And it identifies four, you know, leadership domains. And I believe um, executing, uh, relationship, influencing. And the last one is, um, ooh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm forgetting the last one. But the concept is with that particular leadership philosophy is that you don't want to necessarily put all your eggs in one leadership basket per se and say that, you know, this particular type of leader is the most effective where you have maybe an executing leader. You also want to embrace leaders that are more relational. You want to embrace leaders that are more influencing. You want to embrace leaders that also uh, approach, you know, from a strategic thought process. How does that tie into mentoring? When you're a mentor, I think it's imperative that you identify the strengths of your mentee, whether they're a strategic thought person, whether they're an influencer, whether they're an executor, whether they are a relationship builder, identifying the strengths of your mentee so that one, not only can you interact with them as a leader, but you can then encourage them as they move forward into professional development, how they can most effectively lead their organization or their particular community or, or wherever they step into. So I, I hope I answered your question, Eric. I feel like, you know, leadership and mentoring are, are inextricably tied together. Very much so. It's, it's um, my thinking on the link between the two is, is very um, surface level at this point, because I, I, I can see that there's a connection. And the more that I talk to people, I'll be able to build my own mind map about what that looks like. Because if going by what your definition was then, and the processes that might be involved there, and when you talk about leadership styles, there are many styles based on many different theories of leadership, I probably subscribe more to situational leadership that you adjust yourself to the situation that presents itself. And that might mean you, you take from many different styles of leadership, but essentially you are adaptable. And that one's easy for me to say, but I think when the proverbial hits the fan, sometimes that goes away and you go back to revert to type and do something safe that's probably not as productive as it could be. But I, I think when we're talking about leadership and mentoring, in some ways, now I, I have no, no research to back me on this. So this is an observation that if you're leading in an organization, one of the things that you're doing in some respects is being a mentor to your team. But you also have the role of teacher and coach where coaching and teaching is about setting goals and setting an end state, which you need in a business. But the mentoring bit is 
talk to me about your process. And I think the, the, the process element is where the definition you used before about the transactional nature, about how it is that you're thinking and how you get to a certain point is the process element. I think that's where the distinction would be in my mind, but I've never tested it. I've never asked someone and I've never seen it compared and contrasted. But what I have heard as feedback from my some of my guests is when you're a leader, are you a mentor? Are you a coach or are you a teacher? And when do you know to switch between the three? And that denotes, I think, I'd love to get your perspective on this, that as a mentor, you have to be a reflective practitioner, much like anyone in a good leadership role is think about what you did. But then the next bit that is the most difficult bit is ask for feedback on the mentoring. And I have to ask you in the mentoring relationships you've been in as the mentor, do you seek feedback from the mentee about your process or do you go to other mentors to detox and talk about what you did? I love that. I love the question because in the mentoring, in the, in the relationship, I think it's critical to get feedback from the mentee because you want to, as a mentor, you really want to evaluate how effective am I being uh, as a mentor to this individual. So for example, if, if the, we can use teaching styles or learning styles, if, if my mentee is an auditory learner, and everything that I'm giving them is kinesthetic, do this, do this, do this, do this, then I'm not going to be the most effective mentor to my mentee. But the only way that I can really assess or determine that this mentee is an auditory learner is just to really have a discussion. Hey, am I being effective? Or how can we, you know, improve our processes so that you will get the most out of this mentoring relationship. And so that ongoing evaluation is critical in the mentoring relationship. Very often when you're a teacher, I don't know if I can make that make that stretch. I was going to say very often a teacher, you can just teach, you know, I can remember my college professors who they didn't care if I was auditory kinesthetic, they were going to deliver the, the material the same way. There was no, uh, you know, bilateral conversation, but I think the most effective mentoring relationships, yes, do ask the mentee, how can I be more effective as your mentor? Yeah, I guess you've, you've helped me make my point situational. If you've got a lecturer <laughs> talking about a particular topic area, they just want you to listen. They don't want you to ask too many questions. And that, I, I guess that that has its place. But I, I, I think this idea of, of uh, seeking feedback and bettering your practice, whether you're a mentor or in a formal leadership role, is really important and I'm getting more and more connected to the, the issue and I'll just sidestep a little bit, but I think it's connected that for me, there are certain leader capabilities that I think are critical to being an effective leader. I'm not saying the list that I have is the definitive list and some people may go, no, I don't agree with that at all. But I think when you're talking leader capabilities, that the ability to be self-reflective, the ability to see into possible futures, to use strategic thinking, not strategic planning and mm. be a relationship builder are critical to outcomes over and above the other skill sets you need to be a leader. So I'm talking core capabilities versus those others that you might adapt as the situation changes. So in, in some contexts, you may want to be a laissez-faire type leader with your team. And in others, you want to be very um, directed, almost command and control because you need to get an outcome for the purposes of the business, for the purposes of the team, whatever that might look like. And where I was going with this is I think as a leader, 
understanding that you have these multiple roles with your team and applying exactly what you said before about the uh, auditory learner versus a learner that learned in some other fashion. If you understand how your team functions and what they use to be a continuous learners and have a continuous improvement type culture, uh, this idea of being a lifelong learner is, I think, something that needs to, to be at the core of a leader or a mentor as well as the mentee and potentially with the mentee is opening up their mind to once our relationship is done, you need to continue your learning journey your whole life. It doesn't, the constant learning doesn't end. Once, once the relationship's done here, that's not the end of it. And that I think is a powerful message. Now you may not be able to give the mentee every tool in that toolkit, but making them aware that they need to build the toolkit is I think the point. I love that. It's a really humble, Eric, it's, it's a really humble approach. I want to digress just a second and then circle back to that, you know, you know, because leadership used to be very, very hierarchical. And I think with with the generations that are coming up under us, you we won't talk age, but, uh, you know, the generations that are under us want a more of a flat <laughs> organizational structure. Right. And in order to be effective in that flat organizational structure, we won't talk about age, Eric, the flat organizational structure, you have to approach it, like you said, as one, a lifelong learner, knowing I'm in, in I'm sharing space with individuals where, you know, I'm not the only mentor in the room and I'm not going to be the end all be all for the mentors that they have in their life. But I need to at least model for these people that are in my organization, what does it mean to have a board of directors of mentors? Like, how do I put around me or put in place around me a, a, a group or a collective tribe of people that can mentor me in many different areas, whether it's finance, marketing, whether it's, you know, how to uh, communicate effectively, all these, I so I should have all of these in my tool. I love what the words you used earlier, Eric, a toolkit, really having a toolkit of, uh, of leadership and skills that will make us effective, not only as mentors, but as if you want to continue with the, you know, uh, the, the analogy as leaders as well. The building of your skill sets as a mentor, again, using the analogy of a toolbox is I'm sure that if I talked to Dayon when he first started being a mentor, that is very different to what you are now. And if you looked at that progression, there are probably things that you've learned, probably some mistakes you've made where you've gone, yeah, that didn't work. I'm never doing that again. But and I'm not saying I'm not using that as a negative. So when I say mistake making or errors, it's about times in your in a career, in a process where you learn from uh, a misstep. And I think the best the best of us in the leadership space, in the mentoring space, can't ever claim that they haven't made a mistake and they've learned from the things that have gone wrong. Now, there's degrees to this. So you, you've probably met, and I'm not asking you to identify these people, mentors that have made what you might call catastrophic errors of judgment and things have gone very wrong, but you get to learn a bigger lesson in doing that. I think the magnitude of the mistake can teach you some things and maybe get your eyes open to your own practice. But uh, one, one thing I would like to ask you is to be an effective mentor, do you need to be one, a solid, have solid reflective practice and to openly admit where things have gone wrong to get better practice down the track? Yeah. You know, I, I love how you term that solid reflective practice. I love that. I love that. I mean, after each interaction that you have with your mentee, 
you've got to sit back and reflect, you know, and I think it makes that, that you almost have to build into your schedule. I'm thinking from a very pragmatic standpoint, after each interaction, you have to build in five, five to 10 minutes of reflection. Hey, what just happened here? How could I improve so that the outcomes can be better? And, you know, that's effective leadership. But from a mentoring perspective, having that constant reflection really allows the relationship to evolve over time and to grow over time. And to your point, the same mistakes won't be made because if you take the time to reflect, hmm, I could have probably done this, that different. I could have worded that phrase different. I probably should have listened more during this segment of our conversation instead of, you know, just running off, you know, at the mouth. And that was, Eric, that was definitely my, I, I just, as you have already picked up, I talk too much. You know, and, and it really mentoring, you have to listen. You've got to listen to the mentee. And I just find myself, I just, and that's a mistake that I made early on and I still make it. Uh, I think effective mentoring, it starts with listening in addition to, like you said, the reflection. I think that was the first part of your question. There's, there's no um, reflection on how much you talk or don't talk. That wasn't the intent of what I was saying. I, I think I think you come up with a good point, though, that the the, nat- the natural fallback position for most people, even the best leaders, is to talk a bit too much and not actually listen to what's being said. And um, I don't know where the quote came from, but this idea of, of one mouth and two ears is a good one because you need to do a bit more listening. And I, I would assume then in a in a, a productive, effective mentoring relationship, the mentor is a sort of two-thirds listener, one-third feedback and talk about what what might be in that space and what what is a challenge for me, <laughs> I think it might be a challenge for all people, is in the mentoring relationship. If if what you say is true, and I have no doubt that it is around not necessarily setting goal point posts for your mentee, in a mentoring relationship, I think there's an ongoing discussion around some things. And there are certain issues in the mentee that may not be resolved with one, two or three conversations. And that, that kind of leads me to asking you in your experiences, the, the key differences between a young adult, young person being menteed versus an adult and what you find have been the key differences? Ooh, that's a great question. You know, I found, you know, when you're mentoring uh, young people, let's say high schoolers, they are obviously everything's still developing, you know, mentally, physically, you know, their brain is not fully developed and want to provide a substantive amount of information just so that you know the 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 student is learning effectively however as we all know with that demographic with that age group a lot more is caught than taught i don't know if you ever heard that phrase eric it's like these kids are watching everything that you say everything that you do how you do it when you do it why you do it and they're just watching and with that particular demographic it i think it behooves the mentor to make sure that their talk is matched by their walk you know that applies for all of us you know that's not just with young kids i think that's in the workplace too that if your your language doesn't match your actions people pick up on that stuff almost immediately and it, it we can potentially undermine you as a leader and i think it would do the same as a mentor is that if you're talking this and you're doing you're talking x and you're doing y people pick up and go i'm not understanding i'm not understanding why these things are different and if you create confusion in the person that you're talking 
to, then either it'll erode confidence or you will not help whatever the situation is you're trying to help. Now, I'm talking about mentoring relationships where there are no other um, substantial issues that you need to be around, like problems at home, mental health issues, other things that might uh, impact the, the the mentoring relationship. So I'm talking generally a person who's in a good mental health space that needs some some mentoring for or reasons of schooling or something that's not 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 affected by other key issues in their lives. And that um, brings up a layer of complexity when you're talking about young people because I, like you, do a lot in your community and, and you demonstrate that with the, the YouTube channel that you've got. And one thing that struck me in, in listening and watching what you do is giving back to your community, I think is important, whatever that community looks like. And I myself work with my high school uh, working on uh, the, the high school's uh, council here and in, in my son's school. And I've learned more about this, the, the education system and what teachers go through and the nuances of the schooling system that I think most parents that don't have the capacity to do that have the opportunity to do. And so I think it's one of the drivers why I'm, I'm interested in the mentoring topic because it not only has a benefit, I think, for the young young person, I can see now why it has a similar benefit to an adult. Now, with an adult, your brain isn't in that forming stage. It's already there. But I think as an adult, what we need to do, and I think this is why I think mentoring is attractive to people with young people, is young people bring an energy and a thinking that is is boundless and ha- doesn't have boundaries because they don't give a crap about what the boundaries are. Whereas an adult, uh, the elderly like ourselves, that we we set some boundaries in our mind that we might think are not surpassable, and I think that energy that comes from youth is something that I think is is an attraction to people about, hey, I feel good about helping, but there's also an energy that comes. I can't describe it another way, but I think it's that energy that comes back, whether it's with young people or whether it's with a colleague at um, level. Is that is that the experience you've had, Dion? Yeah, most definitely. I just had a conversation literally yesterday and we were talking about an individual, his career began in education with the constant interaction uh, with young people, bringing that energy, that enthusiasm, that naivety, which is also cool, they bring that to the space and they, they're not jaded old people. Like, like I'll say, I won't put, Eric, I'm not gonna put you in that, in that category. Like me, jaded and old, right? And this, this, this individual that I was talking to had switched from education. Now he's working at Amazon as a, as a manager level. And he literally said, I need to go back because I miss the exact same words that you used, Eric. I miss the energy of the young people and what that does for me, you know, in the headspace that I am. And, and you know, when you talk about mentoring, that is a decided difference when you're mentoring a young person versus mentoring someone that's maybe, you know, a little later in life, they can both, those age groups can be equally rewarding. But like you said, there are different nuances for each one. Definitely. I have a feeling here, um, again, no no research literature to back me, but it's, it's an observation of sorts that if you're mentoring someone who, a young person or even a colleague at level somewhere, a friend, family member, even probably family is not probably a good one because there's some um, there's some biases that are probably not going to make you a good mentor, but colleagues and, and potentially young people that as much as you might be in the role of mentor in, in some respects, you are a mentee 
as well because you're learning something from the person that you're interacting with. And that that's what I think is the attraction for those that want to do it. I, I think the the killer though that I've seen in the Australian context from people that have been in these relationships is the commitment of time. And I understand that that is a potential roadblock and we'll discuss those in a second. But I think if you're going to go down this pathway, you have to make that time or don't do it at all. Either don't don't go in half hearted either going I mean with with full commitment or or don't do it because you you will potentially undermine the person that wants to be in that mentoring relationship and I don't think that is is a good thing to do is that does that ring true for you 100 percent uh Eric you, you there are mentoring best practices and uh there's actually uh documents that are written and that we refer to on a regular basis so whenever I am in a consulting uh, space with the mentoring program, you're referring to that whole uh, recruitment process. When we're recruiting mentors, it is critical that we explain to these mentors, these potential mentors, one, the time requirements, uh, not only the time requirements, the expectations, all of that needs to be put up front on the table so that the mentor can make a calculated decision. Am I ready to enter into a mentoring relationship with a young person or even someone that I'm supposed to mentor at my job, a colleague? Because to your point, Eric, if the mentor goes into the relationship and he undervalues the time commitment, undervalues those things that make an effective mentoring relationship, that mentee is going to get shortchanged and there will be more harm than good. To your point, it's critical that all of those expectations be put out on the table, the front end, um, because you don't want to get into a relationship halfway through and you realize to your point, Eric, you know, you're not all in it. You're not, you're not being able to uh, effectively participate in the mentoring relationship. Without having to formally ask the question, I think we've done the pros and cons of mentoring through the discussion, but um, let me take you uh, sort of sideways a bit, but still on the, the mentoring topic in that for you. So I'm not going to ask you to speak for anyone else, obviously. What does success look like in a mentoring relationship? I'm going to give you micro and macro. The micro successes are one, the feeling, A, I'm giving back. That's a, that's a micro that, that, you know, just having that sense, that feeling I'm, I'm giving back, I'm making a difference. Uh, another micro is just the, I, I, I like to call it the aha moment. It's whenever you share something with another individual that opens their eyes or opens their perspective to a broader understanding of a subject or a topic, that aha moment, that is, that's success. Whenever you achieve that with a mentee, that's just an incredible experience. Now, that those are micro, I think macro over the long run. I love, Eric, what you mentioned. The overall goal is to have a relationship with an individual that would then cause that individual to want to replicate or duplicate and become a mentor themselves. I think that is like, boom. I think when, when you are involved in a mentoring relationship and that transpires, that's what that happens. That individual leaves the relationship, the mentoring relationship comes to a close and they think, I want to be a mentor or I want to find someone that will have the same effect that Dayan had on me. I want to have that effect on another individual. I think that is the ultimate success in a mentoring relationship. 
Would you consider someone that you're mentoring if they find another mentor in addition to you to to provide that relationship or they move on from you would you consider that success and the only reason i ask that is that the for those that i've spoken to on the podcast that have had mentoring relationships they talk about either having multiple mentors for different aspects of their practice so it's the leadership stuff and there might be a personal mentor also slash coach for professional development uh and and or looking to move from one mentor to the next so is a cyclical thing that as they progress, part of their, their um, community of practice is to engage with people and bring new people in and move on from others in a, in a positive way. But is that a sign of success as well, that you're looking to broaden that mentoring space as a mentee? Yeah, most, most definitely, you know, sharing with another individual because all of us we want to develop uh, we want to develop professionally we want to develop personally we want to be better we want to be better people and in order for me to be a better leader uh, I need to be able to engage with varying degrees or varying elements of leadership so that every area that I decide to enter into as a leader I can have substantive mentoring in that particular area Okay, that was kind of circuitous. I'm thinking like, you know, one of my leadership strengths is strategic thinking. I can just sit and think and think and try to think things through and, and, and that's me. But I also understand in order for me to be an effective leader, I also need to be mentored by someone who is an executor or someone who is a relationship builder. And in order, even though I will never, that will never be my number one strength, I'll never be number one in relationship. I'll never be a number one executor. Why? Because I'm strategic thought. That's my, that's who I am. That's my strength. I still need to make sure that I engage with other individuals, mentors who can help me in those specific areas. You know, that, that applies, you know, to tennis. You know, if I'm, if I'm serving strong, you know, I can, I can call, um, you know, uh, Roger Federer, you know, whose serve is incredible, just in, incredible I, the way you're just watching him. But if I want to also, you know, talk about court movement back and forth, you know, why not, you know, also have Rafael Nadal as a, as a mentor, you know, get as many mentors as possible. Uh, so you can see I'm kind of excited about uh, Wimbledon. As oh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah um... a, t- a tennis fan. Yeah, look, I, I would agree with that. I think one thing that, that has come to mind as you as you were giving me that response is uh, the the entrepreneurs that I've spoken to talk about mentors in a very big way as they're setting up their businesses, learning from failure, taking risks. And some of that is done on your own, but a lot of it is done through discussions and dialogue with mentors, be they formal or informal. So I guess the idea that you're talking about, about knowing what your strengths are and getting mentoring potentially for areas that you're not so good at. So talk about being a strategic thinker, but uh, not necessarily being someone who can execute at the, at the business end of that is something that you need help with. I think that's, that's a good way to understand where your strengths are and what your limitations are. And uh, it actually takes a fair bit of thought and solid reflective practice to go, there's some things I'm not good at and I either need to, in a business, pay for someone to do those things for me or learn myself. So you you have options there. And I, I guess that you could translate that to the mentoring relationship mm-hmm. as well, that you're going to meet 
people that don't have all of the skill sets that they might want. And if they're at a point where they know they don't have those skills, then time to to help build them. I, I would I would assume though with a young person, they may not know where their deficiencies are or know how to articulate what their strengths are, hence the need for a mentoring relationship. I would agree. And I think another thing that we can do with young people is just give them opportunities to take assessments and to try different things. And then the reflective practice is critical, you know, after, you know, they attempt something, well, how'd you feel about that? How did it go? What do you, how could we improve next time? Or what did we do good? And, and, and we want to keep that. And I think that reflective practice, especially with young people is critical so that they can identify their strengths and identify, okay, these are the things that I need to shore up. Um, I had a, a real great mentoring relationship with about six uh, young entrepreneurs. And uh, we talked about the different, different really C-suite executives that they could, they, that they could engage, whether it's a CFO, a CEO, a CMO, a CIO, a CHRO, knowing that they could not effectively nail all of those specific skill sets, but being able to identify which ones they were strong in or which ones they had an affinity toward. But to your point, Eric, being able to hire and find people that are strong in those other areas, I think that's critical for the entrepreneur. Yeah, and it, it it comes back to the understanding the value of the mentoring relationship. That there are, there are multiple benefits to it. My, my I guess my final thought here, and I'll, I'll get your perspective on this, please, is with mentoring relationships. I I have a very good network of people at level across multiple different industry sectors that I can talk to about my own practice. And what makes those relationships good for me is that. If I talk about a mistake, if I talk about hesitations, if I talk about my own vulnerabilities in the role, I'm talking professionally here, not not emotional stuff, but from a professional standpoint, I know that they've got my back and I have theirs. So the the reciprocation is is that if they bring something up, you switch from talking about you to listening to them. But it's never been a formal thing. And I wonder, uh, are you an advocate for mentoring more formally than informally, or do you believe there's value in both? Definitely value in both. And I think one element across the board uh, for both is a safe space, even in a formal relationship, a formal mentoring relationship, one that may be um, uh, a mentoring program that was instituted on your job, where you literally have you know, an executive level mentoring, you know, a new professional coming in, that's a formal relationship. And they usually have mentoring agreements, even in that space, there still has to be an element of confidentiality and a safe space for there to be a bilateral dialogue uh, both ways. Um, Conversely, you know, a less formal relationship. Yes. Even in that area, even more so, you want to have a safe space that allows you to be able to articulate. You mentioned, Eric, you, you said, you know, strictly professional, but even when you go into an informal relationship, you've got some emotions that all of us deal with as human beings, you know, that we need to be able to make sure, Eric, am I safe? Am I in a safe space to talk to you about how angry this, you know, has made me feel? And, and you know, I think that's critical for um, both formal and informal relationships. Dayon, we could talk about this for hours, but I know what time it is in your neck of the woods and you've come to the end of the day. So I appreciate you giving me your time here. Uh, Look, before we go, can I get you to give a bit of an overview of what you do with uh, your your current role with Mentor? Sure, sure. I, I love, Eric, I love this job. 
I serve as a regional director, a regional manager for Mentor. Uh, Mentor is a national organization. It's based in Boston, and they've got about 23 regional affiliates all across the country. And so I work with the affiliate that is responsible for Maryland and Washington, D.C. And uh, so my specific area that I'm responsible for is uh, Washington, D.C. and two contiguous counties. My responsibility is to identify organizations that are doing mentoring, whether it's in a community setting, whether it's in a school setting, whether it's a corporation, for-profit, non-profit, and to provide them with resources as a technical assistant so that each mentoring program that I interact with can become a better mentoring program, instituting best practices, providing them with, like I said, resources, uh, connecting them, convening them so that we can have both, both a collegial atmosphere in the District of Columbia and DC, Washington, DC around mentoring so that whether you're mentoring, you know, college grads, whether you're mentoring high school students, whether you're mentoring middle school kids, there are, uh, there's a stream of best practices that is woven through all of those mentoring organizations. And that's what I, I do. So on any given day, I'm talking to an executive director who's got a mentoring program that's reaching, you know, hundreds of kids in the DC area, or, you know, an hour later, I'm talking to a, a person that's leading a mentoring program that literally takes high school students and mentors them to graduate from high school and to ensure that they graduate from college. So they mentor these students for five years and provide mentors so that they can uh, matriculate through college. Same thing for workforce development and making sure that new employees coming in are matched with mentors on their job so that they can be you know, better professionally. And so my job is just an incredible opportunity I meet with educators who are working in the school system. Uh, we were approached by a high school in DC to help them stand up a, a mentoring program for juniors and seniors in high school so that they first generation immigrants that are in DC so that they can have the resources to attend second, you know, second uh, graduate education. It's just a great position. I enjoy it. I have great colleagues. And you mentioned a good friend, David Shapiro. He is the CEO of mentor who you mentioned. And so just saw him a couple of weeks ago. It's a great position. I enjoy it. Thanks for asking. It sounds like you you love your work and that you can't ask for more than that. Um, there, there's many, many of us that I, I don't include myself here. I like what I do, but there are many people that are in jobs that they don't like and and they would wish they could be doing something else. So it's um, very fortunate that you're doing something you like. And yes, I uh, uh, Hello to um, David. I haven't spoken to him for a little while. David, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll be in touch at um, some point very soon, mate. So, um, Dayon, thank you for your time, mate. This has been great. I would love to catch up with you at some point down the track to talk more around mentoring. And I'm, I'm thinking about having a panel discussion around the topic um, that would probably involve your colleagues in the States because to try and get some people to be up for seven in the morning to do this uh, uh, Queensland time is not, that's not going to work. I don't, they're, they're keen, but they're not 
not that keen, so I think it'll be a US based thing. But I, I think there's um there's some more here that can be teased out, and I'm sure you're having these conversations as an ongoing thing. And my interest is what you can draw from mentoring as part of the leadership process, and we've done that in a great way now. Uh, but it's only the start of what I'm hoping could be more conversations down the track. All right. So everyone, thank you again for joining me. More podcasting content to come. Have a great week and we'll catch everyone on the next podcast.